little nativity set that you've set up and uh, uh, maybe it's by the tree, maybe it's on the mantelpiece and some of you, you may have some like huge nativity sets and you've got this, uh, you, you put them out in your front yard and uh, you've got these lights shining on them and things like that. But this time of year, all of us, we, we kind of think of like the nativity set and uh, so some of you, you may, uh, you may have uh, your Mary and you may have your Joseph, uh, you may have uh, a little trough with hay in it and then you put this little baby Jesus on it. Um, some of you, you've got some shepherds that you put in your little nativity set. Others have got these strange kings or kind of people with like these like really colorful outfits and uh, they're there. And then some of you, you've got some donkeys or you've got some sheep and you've got a cow. Uh, and, uh, and then you've got this big brown stable that they're all under. And that's kind of uh, our nativity scene and our nativity set that we think of. And then, uh, and then this Christmas, you've probably got, uh, some of you, you may have been invited. If you've got kids, your kids are probably invo- maybe involved. Or if you've got uh, nephews or nieces, uh, uh, you may have been invited to some Christmas play. Um, and uh, throughout the United States this month, there's tons of Christmas plays, whether it's uh, uh, in churches, whether it's in schools. Um, and what you see is you see these little kids, and they get a potato sack, and they put a potato, pe- potato sack on, and they get, uh, they, they get like a dressing gown and uh, a robe and they get like the, the belt from the robe and they put it around the potato sack and then they get a little dishcloth put it on the head and they come out and we all say oh how cute do they look um, and they come out and they perform in their little Christmas play and they forget their lines and, uh, and then they like someone's singing off key all the time and things like that and, and then you, you, you get these uh, you get the kids who are the really good actors you know they're going to be like the uh, they're going to be like the Tom Cruise and the Brad Pitts and the Angelina Jolies uh, in years to come and they just want to do it. And they're the ones who are always giving the Mary and Joseph part uh, and the big parts. Uh, uh, or they, the ones who can speak well always giving the innkeeper. And they're giving that famous line when they come out. There is no room at the inn. Um, and then the, one, the girls who are really good dancers and have just been to ballet lessons, they come or dress as angels and they do this funky little dance and things like that. Uh, and so they're the ones with the main parts. And, and then you've got the kids who really want to be in the Christmas play, and they think they've got it. They think they're going to be the next big star, but everybody really knows only their parents really like them because they, they're not that good. So we give them the role of the shepherds because, you know, they're involved, but they don't really have any speaking parts. Uh, and then you've got the kids who, who are just really bad, and, uh, and, and they're just there to make up the numbers, and because they're kids, we feel we must include them. So we dress them up as like a donkey or as a sheep, and they just sit there, you know. And I've got a confession to make. That's how I started my acting debut as a sheep. Um, and, and I was really disheartened. The first ever time I was in a play, I really wanted the role of, the, of one of the uh, three wise men or the kings and, uh, because they just wore these great clothes and uh, I wanted to carry a present to Jesus. And I remember they says, well, Alex, uh, uh, we think that you, get, you would be a great sheep. I'm like, whoa, thank you. And so the first year I did a Christmas play, I was a sheep. But then the next year, I was really excited because I must have got, I must have done really well as a sheep because the next year they said, you want to be a shepherd? I'm like, yes, you know, I'm like going up in the world. And then by year three, I became a wise man. I'm like, this is it. I have got the pinnacle of my acting career right here, wise man. And that's kind of what we think of Christmas. And I never appeared in a play again after that. Actually, I did. At school, I played in a play about Rumpelstiltskin. And I went for the role of Rumpelstiltskin. And I got the role of a dancing spoon. 
And so, you know, that's about my acting genius right there. But we, we think, we think of, when we think of Christmas, we think of nativity scene. We think of the stable and we think of, uh, uh, of, of the shepherds and the kings and the animals. And we think of this whole thing. But let me ask you a question just for a moment. What if there was no stable? What if there was no nativity scene? What if there was no manger? What if there were no shepherds? What if there was actually room at the inn for Jesus to be? Would that change your Christmas? Would that change your perception of what Christmas is all about? For most of us now in the 21st century, it probably wouldn't. You know, I mean, if suddenly someone came out with this great revelation that there was that there was no nativity scene, then we would still shop until we drop, and uh, we would still eat too much on Christmas Day. We'd still put, put our decorations up. But really, would it change Christmas? Would your life actually be different if there wasn't a nativity scene? It's probably a question you may have not asked before, and it wasn't a question until this year that I asked myself. And I was kind of amazed when I started looking into just the significance of this scene that we set in our mind. But before we do that today, uh, I kind of want to just tell you a few truths about Christmas. Now, for those of you who love Christmas and have lots of Christmas joy to spread and share, I don't want to ruin your Christmas. So maybe close your ears at this point, but I don't want to destroy kind of your joy of Christmas. But I want to tell you a few facts about Christmas. Don't tell the kids. They'll be like destroyed. The first fact I want to tell you is that there is actually no donkey in the Christmas story. The Bible does not talk about a donkey. He does not say that Mary rode on a donkey to Bethlehem. So all those really bad actors who have kids who became donkeys, we've just eliminated your job. Sorry. The next, que- the next thing I want to tell you, and this might rock the boat for some of you, but there was actually no innkeeper. The lyrics... There's no room at the inn actually never came out of somebody's mouth in the Christmas story. So sorry for all of you who achieved being an innkeeper. And kudos to you because it's a pretty important role. It's not in the Christmas story. Actually, something that may shock all of you. And it doesn't mean taking the nativity scene down if you go on at home because they're cute. But there was actually no stable in the Christmas story. Both Matthew and Luke talk about the Christmas story, and they do not talk about a stable. Actually, Jesus was not even born in a manger. And some of you are saying, well, the manger is mentioned in the Bible. Yeah, the manger, manger is mentioned, but it just says Jesus was placed in a manger. He wasn't born in a manger. And we'll find out in a little bit. That would have been a little difficult if he had. And now this one is going to probably kill all of you, and I really apologize, and it gets better, I'm sure, you know, and and we'll have a wonderful Christmas. But, uh, oh yeah, look at that, where did that come from? A little nativity scene, yes, we can see it right here. See, there's a cow, there's a donkey, go, you're not welcome. Um, But uh, this one's going to kill you all, and I'm sorry to say, but Christmas actually did not happen on December 25th. Um... That's just something that's happened through the ages. It actually was probably around April time, April, May, when Jesus was born. That's what historians say, so I apologize. And the last thing I want to say, I don't want to destroy your Christmas too much, but uh, there was actually no kings. Uh, They were called magi, uh, who people studied the stars. 
Um, and they, there weren't three of them. They just brought three gifts. So there was probably hundreds and hundreds of them. And they did not actually come on the night that Jesus was born. So now all of you are in shock. And now all of you are like, oh, you've destroyed my Christmas. Uh, we can get on. Uh, but the question I want to ask you for you today is, okay, we said that there was no stable. But what if that nativity scene that we see, what if it did not really exist? And in reality, this is what I want to ask the question today. What if Jesus was born in a normal home? What if Jesus was born in a normal way? What if Jesus had been born in a hospital or placed in a real bed? What if there was no shepherds? What if uh, there was no manger or all the other strange things that we see in the Christmas story? Would anything change? And today, I want to just tell you a few things that would change if there was none of this that we've talked about. The first thing that we see, that if there was no stable, if there was no uh, manger, if there was no nativity scene, if there was none of this, then Jesus would not have been able to say he was a servant. He would not have been able to say he was a servant. Let's look in the Bible. You may think, whoa, what's that all about? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus came as a servant. And in Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, Um, Going through to verse 7, it says this. It says, At the time of the Roman Emperor Augustus, he decreed that a census should be taken throughout the whole Roman Empire. And the place where Jesus was born was part of the Roman Empire at that time. It says, This was the first census taken when Cornelius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary uh, to give birth to her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, who was a son. Then she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them or there was no room at the inn. So we see here that the story takes place that the Roman Empire has now made a decree or has made a law that everybody is to go back to their own ancestral town or their town of birth or their town where their family were from to register so that they could have this sentence. Uh, And for some of you, if that was to happen, you would probably have to go all different parts of the world. Um, I would have to get on a jet plane and travel about eight hours east to get there. Um, But we would all have to go to different places to be counted. And so Joseph, he had to go to his ancestral home. Now the Bible tells us that Joseph was living in a place called Nazareth. But he actually was from a town called Bethlehem. Bethlehem at the time wasn't a big town. It was just a a small little town on the outskirts of a city called Jerusalem. Probably about 30 miles, something like that, from Jerusalem. But Bethlehem was significant because Joseph's family were from Bethlehem. And actually part of Joseph's family can be traced all the way back to the very first king of Israel, King David. And that's where David sat on the hills, guarding his sheep, uh, before he became king of Israel in Bethlehem. Now, I just want to mention something to to you today. Just as I'm reading this verse, something I see is that everybody was told to go to their own ancestral town. 
Now, Mary didn't go to her ancestral town. She went to Joseph's ancestral town. The Bible says that they weren't married. So if they're not married, she did not have to follow her, her, her fiancé. If she had a husband, then she would go with her husband. But they are not married. So why didn't Mary go to her ancestral town? Well, may, I, I don't know, I may be speculating, but maybe the Bible says she was obviously pregnant. And last week we discovered that Mary was probably, we're not sure, but probably around about 13 or 14 years old. Maybe even 12. And now she was pregnant. Maybe she wasn't welcome in her own ancestral town. We will never know. But now imagine this, that Joseph arrives in his hometown. And he gets to the place where all his family are. And he arrives there and there's this big reunion taking place. The party is in full swing. Everyone's drinking some eggnog. And uh, uh, people are, are, you know, dancing and, uh, and having a great time. The music's going. And they've got some mistletoe on. And, uh, and, uh, and, and little Johnny who sees uh, uh, his distant cousin and realizes his distant cousin, uh, Marjorie. And he thinks, whoa, she's hot. Let's get her under the mistletoe. And he doesn't realize, you're your cousin, you don't want to do that. Um, but uh, all this stuff's going on. There's joy, there's great laughter. The kids are just running around. Everyone's letting, uh, letting them go all around the place. And then suddenly, Joseph walks into the place where they are. Now imagine the scene, they haven't seen Joseph for years. And everyone's like, Joseph, Joseph, it's great to see you. They start hugging him. And uh, then Uncle uh, Bert gives him this eggnog and puts in his hand, drink it, it's really good tonight. And, uh, and, and, and everyone's welcoming Joseph. And then suddenly Joseph steps aside and they see this girl who's with him. This pregnant girl. And Joseph says, let me introduce you to my fiance, Mary. You can imagine, couldn't you, the room, silence. People just mouths wide open. Joseph, what did you do? Joseph, do you realize who you've brought with us? Did you ask, why didn't you tell us before we came? And everybody is, is silent. They're in horror. Many are disgusted because it's obvious that this girl is pregnant and they are not married. And for them at that time, that was a big no-no. Society at the time would have made Mary almost an outcast. Now let's skip forward a little bit. So the party goes on and people, that's all they're talking about all night. And now it's time for them to find somewhere to rest. The Bible says that there was no room at the inn or there was no lodging for them. And when we think of the inn, in our 21st century mind, we think of Marriott, we think of Hyatt, we think of Country Inn, Hampton Inn, and then we think of the classy establishments like Super 8 or Motel 6 or something like that. But this was not a first century inn. A first century inn was very different. In fact, almost every home in the first century had what we call was an inn. An inn was actually uh, basically situated on the second floor of most homes, and it was a place where the guests who would come to visit from out of town would stay. And if you were to stay in an inn, you were an honored guest. You were someone who was welcome into the home. And so now we see that there is no room in this house, in this upper place, in the quarters, in the, in the, in the guest quarters. And we see probably that Joseph's whole family were there in Bethlehem. 
Obviously, probably the elders of the family, you know, the, the uncles and the aunts, they probably stayed in the inn. And then all the kids and everybody else were scattered throughout the home. It's no surprising then that there was no room at the inn for Mary and Joseph. Firstly, they were on an unexpected guest. Secondly, they were probably disgusted with the scene that they saw with Mary and Joseph. So the story continues. We see that Mary, wherever she is, she gives birth to this child. And then it says she wraps him in cloths and places him in a manger. Now, the reason we think that there is a stable in the Christmas story is because of this word manger. I think most of us would probably think when we think of a manger, we think of almost like a a trough with like hay in it. And the animals would come and, and eat the hay or something out of it. That's kind of our picture of a manger. And we just saw that that picture that Randy put up before. We see that that's what we think when we think of manger. But in fact, did you know that almost every home in the first century had a manger? They had a manger. In fact, the manger was situated in the lower levels of the house, almost like the basement of the home. And it was almost sometimes situated in what we call the servant quarters. The servant quarters. The manger was basically a slab of stone. It wasn't this wooden thing, it was stone. And then they would pour the feed, the animal feed, on the stone. And then they would bring animals in and animals would eat it. Now you ask, well why is it in a home? Well the reason it was in a home is because through the winter months, every home in in the first century probably owned animals. There were sheep, there was, there was goats, there was uh, chickens. That's how they made their livelihoods. That's how they got food. And what they would do is the servants would go out and on cold winter months they would bring these animals into this place where this manger was. And then they would put food, uh, food on the manger and they would eat to keep them from the cold. So now we see that Jesus was placed in a place where the servants were. He wasn't placed in the place where the honored guests were. He was placed in the place where the servants lived and the servants worked. We think, well, what what, what significance does that have? Well, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, it tells us this. It says, though Jesus was God, he did not think of himself uh, or think of equality with God as something that he wanted to cling to. Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges He took the humble position of a slave or a servant and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. And then in Mark chapter 10 and verse uh, 45, it tells us this. It says, It says, For even the Son of Man, who is Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and give of his life as a ransom for many. If there had been no stable, then Jesus would not have entered this world as a servant. And because Jesus entered this world as a servant, Jesus gave his life for you. He showed us the way that as a church that we should live as servants to the people round about. If there had been never any nativity scene, if there had been no manger, then Jesus would not have been a servant. Jesus had been born in the inn and they had stayed in the inn, then he would not have shown that he was a servant. 
Not only that, but if there had been no nativity scene, then Jesus probably would not have been accessible to many. He wouldn't have been accessible to many. What do you mean? Well, in Luke chapter 2, carrying on the story there, we see in verse 8 it says this. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angels reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said, for I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And it says, suddenly the angels were joined with a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to all those uh, whom God is well pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Then they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and the angel and what the angels had said about the child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And it was just as the angel had told them. You know, if Jesus had not been born as we know he was born, then the shepherds would not have been able to access Jesus. The servants' quarters, or this lower level of the house, was a place where everybody could access. Whether you were a servant or you were an honored guest, everybody could go into this place. The inn was a place for only honored guests. If you weren't invited, if you weren't approved, if you weren't an honored guest, then you would not be able to go into the inn. And we see here that the angels tell uh, the shepherds of what happened. And they said, you will see a sign. You will see a baby lying in a manger. So the shepherds know this instantly. They know where the mangers are. They know where they're in the lower levels of the home. And they know that if there's a baby there, that they can have access to that baby. Now imagine this, that these shepherds, they know what mangers are for. They're shepherds. They deal with sheep all the time. They're familiar with the language of a manger. But they know that mangers aren't for babies. They know that mangers are for animals. Who would put a baby in a manger? I mean, let's be honest. If that happened today, we'd be calling social services. I mean, you're putting a baby where the animals feed. Yet the manger was their language. It was their language. They understood what a manger was. They understood what to find and they knew when they would recognize the child. And I believe this is just how Jesus works in every one of our lives. He doesn't speak a language that we can't understand. He doesn't come in ways that we're thinking, God, what is all this about? Jesus speaks our language so that we can have access to him. Jesus is, is an, uh, accessible to all. It's not just the honored guests. It's not just specific people. It's not just the approved people. Jesus is accessible to every single one of us. He showed this by his, by his birth. 
If Jesus had been placed in the inn, then the shepherds would not have had access to Jesus. But because Jesus was placed on a manger, they had access. The manger represented a place where everybody was allowed to go. So Jesus spoke their language because they understood the the, the manger. And then Jesus was accessible to every one of them. And I believe this is just how Jesus works today. He works in your lives. He works in my life. He works that He is accessible to every one of us. No matter what we've been through in our lives, no matter where we are in our spiritual walk, in in our, our journey of faith, Jesus is accessible to every single one of us. It's not just, He's not just somewhere waiting for you to be approved and then you can have access. Jesus is accessible right now, right here, right to you. And not only that, Jesus is speaking your language. You don't have to learn all these, theology, uh, th- these terms of theology. You don't have to understand the whole Bible to, to, to access Jesus or know where He is. Jesus is speaking your language right now as He spoke to the shepherds. Jesus is accessible. We see Jesus would have never been a servant if there wasn't this nativity scene. Jesus probably would not have been accessible if there was not this nativity scene. And then finally this morning, Jesus would not have been a sacrifice if it was not for this nativity scene. There's a book in the Bible, it's called the book of Micah. It's just a small little book, it's at the end of the Old Testament, and if you flick through the pages, you'll go right through it. But in the book of Micah, there is a prophecy about the coming Jesus, the coming Messiah, the one who is going to save the nations. And in Micah chapter 4 and verse 8, it says this, it says, as for you, O watchtower of the flock, which in Hebrew meant Migdal Edda. It says, As for you, O watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Then it says, Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, some of you reading that think, Whoa, what does that mean? That's kind of craziness. I don't understand that. Well, it says there, it says, as for you, watchtower of the flock, which means Migdal Edda. Listen to this. This is what I found this week. I'm going to read this. It says, Migdal Edda was a watchtower located in the northern part of Bethlehem, built to protect the temple flocks. During lambing season, the sheep were brought from the fields as the lower level, I said the lower level, functioned as the birthing room for sacrificial lambs. Priestly shepherds would then wrap the newborn lambs in swaddling clothes or strips of cloth and place them in a manger until they calmed down to keep them without defect. Suitable to be sacrificial lambs for the sin of Israelite of the Israelites. Bethlehem was special because the shepherds in the field of Bethlehem raised lambs for the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. The shepherds who heard the angelic choir and came to see the baby Jesus were certainly familiar with the technique to birth a sacrificial lamb. And they were likely puzzled why a baby was birthed 
in the manner and the location of the sacrificial lamb. Many even believe that it was actually this particular manger at Migdal Edda that Jesus was placed. I read that and I thought, wow. Wow. Jesus really was speaking the shepherd's language. These shepherds were probably priestly shepherds. These shepherds probably were people who looked after the lambs that would be sacrificed in the Jewish temple to forgive the sins of the Israelites. Just imagine when these shepherds walked into this place where this baby Jesus was. They knew exactly who Jesus was. They knew that Jesus would be the sacrificial lamb, not just for the Israelites for that year, but for all humanity, for all mankind. Migdal Edda was the place where the lambs were taken. They were wrapped in cloths. They were laid on the manger there just so that they wouldn't panic, so that they would keep them without defect. And these shepherds walked in this day. And all that the angels had talked about, they saw with all their eyes and they knew for that moment that this must be the one who Micah was talking about. Before Jesus had taken his first breath or said his first words, God had decided that his life was going to be given as a sacrifice to pay for the penalties of our sins. God testified his intent by having Jesus being born and then placed in a manger at the location of the sacrificial lambs of the temple, just as the prophet Micah proclaimed. The manger speaks of a place where the lambs would go before sacrifice. And Jesus went there. John chapter 1, verse 29, it says this. John the Baptist said, look, when he saw Jesus, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus wasn't just a man who came and was a good man. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just somebody who came and lived a good life, performed a few miracles, said some real wise things. Jesus was a man who was born in this world for one purpose. And that was to be the ultimate sacrificial lamb for all mankind. For all mankind. If Jesus had been born like every other child, then God wouldn't have given a sign to humanity. In Luke chapter 1, in that scripture that we read, it says, the the, the angel said to the shepherd, you will find a baby in a manger wrapped in stripes of cloth and let this be a sign to you. It was a sign to the shepherds of who Jesus was. And now we see this Christmas story and we see this nativity scene and let that be a sign to us of who Jesus is. He is the one who takes away our sins. He is the one who would live a life and die a sacrificial death so that we could find salvation through Him. What if there had been no 
stable? I mean, what if there would be no manger? What if there would be no shepherds? What if there would be no accessibility to Jesus? What if there had actually been room at the inn? Would anything be different? We don't really know. It wouldn't have changed anything about what Je- how Jesus lived his life. Jesus probably would have been a perfect man. He would have done his miracles. But I ask you the question today, what if this story is right? What if Jesus really was placed in this manger? What if Jesus had come as that sacrificial lamb? Then what would it mean to us? It would mean that God shows us of his incredible love for mankind. And even before Jesus uttered a word, it shows that God showed us a sign of who Jesus was and what that would mean to us. It would mean that we would have total access to Jesus. It would mean that he would meet us in ways that we can understand. It would mean that he would be the very sacrificial lamb who would take away the sin of humanity for eternity. It would mean that Jesus came to serve and not be served. It would mean that Jesus is not exclusive, but Jesus is inclusive. It would mean that Jesus didn't just come for the rich and the honored, but Jesus also came for the poor and the outcast and the servants. It would mean that Jesus did not just come for the honored, but Jesus also came for the disgraced. Jesus didn't come just for the insiders, but Jesus came for the outsiders. What if Jesus really was laid in a manger? Let's pray.